Hey, podcasters. Today's a great, great podcast. I figure if I just take a week off and then come back, do one show, then take a week off, I got, you know, you'd get 52 great shows. Hall of Fame written all yeah, over it, Glenn. It does. It really <laughs> does. It really does. Uh, today is a really great show. We go through a lot of the um, court cases that are being filed by Donald Trump and his team or allies. There's a lot going on that need to be really paid attention to. Also, this week is kind of the Great Reset Week, as on Wednesday night, I have the full story on our Wednesday night special on Blaze TV, all about the Great Reset. Well, today, we show you why John Kerry, our climate czar, yeah, the czars are back, why he's going to be the guy that really implements a lot of the Great Reset. You know, that conspiracy. And our premiere of the brand new song from the Glenn Beck Christmas Orchestra, which is just one guy on a piano. AOC is coming to town, all on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. give you some really good news here uh the uh, supreme court slapped down andrew cuomo and as if that's not good enough uh the supreme court actually protected the first amendment (laughs) yeah wow crazy isn't it what these right wingers and their love for this this old piece of paper from the 1700s. I know. It's despicable. Yeah. You know, the, the founders couldn't have seen something like the coronavirus. No, there's no they, viruses back then. Everything no, there was, was totally no, fine. It, it was totally fine. They yeah. had really great health care. And uh, <laughs> could they imagine something that would kill from 0.5 to 1% of the population? I mean, these... No way. They had all the leeches they could attach to you to suck the disease out back then. It was great. Okay, so here's the thing. This is this is Justice Kavanaugh's uh, uh, support, uh, the concurring... Uh, uh, what do you call these things? Concurring opinion? Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Op- opinions. Thank you. (laughs) That's the word I was looking for. All right. He said uh, the they 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 were they were arguing whether or not Cuomo could shut down the churches. Uh, And if he could shut down the uh, if he could shut down the churches uh, and the synagogues, well, then he could get things under control. Unfortunately, um he, 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 he wasn't shutting down other things. Now, I'm looking for, I just had this stupid, stupid, stupid thing. And now I can't seem to get to the right opinion. <laughs> you didn't, I mean, you have like a, you know, 200 page opinion in front of you. you didn't here it is. Think here it is. Highlight yeah, the, I, did. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Um, Government is not free to disregard the First Amendment in times of crisis. What? Whoa. Whoa. You know, they're saying that this is Amy Coney Barrett's uh, doing. 
Good. Yeah, yeah great. That's I, wonderful. That's, that's why she's there. Yeah, that's exactly that it. Thank great. You. Um, at a minimum, that amendment prohibits government officials from treating religious exercises worse than comparable secular exercises unless they're pursuing a compelling interest and using the least restrictive means available. Yet recently, during the COVID pandemic, certain states, Andrew Cuomo's New York, uh, have ignored these long settled principles. Today's case supplies just the latest example. New York's governor has asserted the power to assign different color codes to different parts of the state and govern each by executive decree. In red zones, houses of worship are all but closed, limited to a maximum of 10 people. In the Orthodox Jewish community, that limit might operate to exclude all women, considering 10 men are necessary to establish a quorum. In orange zones, it's not much different. Churches and synagogues are limited to a maximum of 25 people. These restrictions apply even to the largest cathedrals and synagogues, which ordinarily hold hundreds. The uh, restrictions apply no matter what precautions are taken, including social distancing, wearing masks, leaving doors and windows open, foregoing singing and disinfecting spaces between services. At the same time, the governor has chosen to impose no capacity restrictions on certain businesses he considers, quote, essential, end quote. As it turns out, the businesses the government, the governor considers essential are hardware stores, acupuncturists, and liquor stores, bicycle repair shops, certain signage companies, accountants, lawyers, and insurance agents are all essential as well. So at least according to the governor, it may be unsafe to go to church, but it's always fine to pick up another bottle of wine, shop for a new bike, or spend the afternoon exploring your distal points and meridians. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes from there. It's great stuff. It's really good stuff. Now, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, do we have the Cuomo theme here? Yeah. Andrew Cuomo is saying, that doesn't mean a darn thing. <laughs> Bada bing, not a thing. All right? There's no problems <laughs> with this. It's irrelevant. And I got a mouse in my pocket. Mm. So uh, America's dumbest mobster, uh, Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. Yes. That is what he's saying, which is uh, just another spectacular uh, example of how disingenuous this person is for him to come out and say it doesn't matter. His point is basically like, well, the case went through, but we've already taken this area out of the red or orange zone or whatever zone scheme he's come up with. Well, it happened while the court was being, was hearing this. (laughs) Right. Okay. So it was, it, I think it was an orange, right? Or red. It was one of the two. And while the court was hearing it, he lowered it, It, you know, in the middle of a huge uprising of coronavirus cases, by the way. It's weird. The hospitals are overflowing. All of a sudden he's like, you know what? (laughs) That one area, you know what? (laughs) I'm feeling pretty godly today. I think God's going to take care of it. So there's no reason for you to continue your suit. (laughs) (laughs) And then he comes out and says, this is moot. It's 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 irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's a moot uh, ruling because yeah. we've already taken this particular area out of the red zone or the orange zone, 
and therefore we've already let them have their services back again so it doesn't matter well of course it matters it means he can't do it to anyone else it means that he was Can you imagine wrong for doing it the first time imagine the strategy session where he's sitting with the attorneys and he's like i got an idea <laughs> Let me tell you my idea here. <laughs> what I'm going to say is they can all go back to church, even though I'm on television saying hospitals are overrun, cats and dogs are sleeping together. It's very dangerous. And I'm also saying that uh, Christmas has got to be canceled. <laughs> nobody, nobody, not even Santa, Will they be able to do anything with those damn elves for Christmas? But as long as I let them go to church for a couple of weeks, they'll forget all about it. It is that uh, pathetic. This is a trick they do all the time where they've done this with Second Amendment cases as well. They'll put a ridiculous restriction and that's obviously not constitutional. Keep it in place for a year while it goes through the courts. And right before it gets to the Supreme Court, they withdraw the the uh, the rule. So then the case gets thrown out because it's moot. Well, Gorsuch talked about it. Did you read his? his I didn't read the whole thing. Oh, it's fantastic. He talked about it. He was like, so the governor is now saying Mm. uh, it's it's not going to it's that we should throw this case out because he's lowered the restrictions like we don't think that those restrictions could go back (laughs) the other direction. Yeah. You know, and he said it's irreparable harm. They're already here. They've already spent all the money. You want them to come back if you do it again? Yeah, this is and this is what they want. Yeah, the court is. is a couple of these things that that the left is trying to do to the court all the time. The court is sick of this is one of them. They pull these cases out as soon as they get up to the Supreme Court because they know they're going to lose them. The other one is they keep trying to the lower courts are putting in these nationwide injunctions all the time. So they will prevent shockingly it always seems to happen to conservative uh sides of the argument for whatever reason huh. it's a total random really? chance always seems to fall on that, that side. is weird but they'll take something and they'll just basically repeal an entire policy nationwide as it goes through the courts and w- instead of just letting it go through the courts like they're supposed to uh-huh and so the, clarence thomas specifically has called this out multiple times where he's like this nationwide injunction thing if you keep doing it we're going to rule on it <laughs> just so you know you can keep doing it if you want what but we're going to address it soon and the left is very upset because now they have amy coney barrett instead mm. of ginsburg and uh they want you to know it's all her fault and again i just like to say yes thank yeah, you that was great that thank was actually you. exactly yes. what was intended uh, yes if you are ready for some really great news keep listening built bar is back and it is unbelievable if you've been listening to my show this year i love built bars uh, it's an all-american story this is a client i asked to be on the show because i didn't listen to my wife again and she's been telling me about it but it has protein bar on it and those always taste like a doormat 
This is unbelievable. The mint brownie flavor. Oh, yes, baby. It is life changing. The new bars taste better than ever. In addition to the 12 original flavors, Built Bar just added cookies and cream, carrot cake, caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp. I mean, it's just it's great. Built Bar, delicious, nutritious, high protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carbs, 100 percent real chocolate and 100 percent really good. Plus, they've reset the code for this new launch right now go to builtbar.com use the promo code back get ten dollars off your first order promo code back builtbar.com you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Paul Kangor, who's a uh, political science professor, good friend of the uh, program, also the author of the book The Devil and Karl Marx, which is a must read. It is a must read. Um, he is um, he covered in the American Spectator, the Pennsylvania bombshell, Biden, ninety nine point four percent versus Trump, point six percent of the vote. Welcome to the uh, program, Paul. How are you? Oh, I, I guess I'm all right, Glenn, but uh, this is just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So, Paul, help us help us separate fact from fiction, because honestly, I don't know who to trust anymore. You're not you're just getting a vacuum uh, on the other side. When they try to debunk it, they'll just say uh, there's that, that's a conspiracy theory. Well, wait, can you can you help me with the facts? Debunk it with facts. Um, I don't even know what happened in uh, in Gettysburg. I mean, I do, but I don't know everything I should know about Gettysburg because no one covered it except for a few people on the right. Yep. So that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, and you feel like I do. And in fact, so it, it was last Wednesday, so it would have been Thanksgiving Eve. Yep. And I'm emailing with different friends. And one of them who watches this stuff very closely told me, said, hey, you got to tune in and watch these hearings in Gettysburg. And and so I so I clicked the link and and it went on for about four hours, and then later on in the evening I tried to see if I could get a news roundup on what happened. No. I turned on Fox and and I turned on I, they had substitute hosts for for Tucker for Laura and for Sean. I think Mark Stein was in for Tucker. I think he was uh, you know, talking about Thanksgiving and they, yeah. <laughs> none of it none of this was covered. I turned on Newsmax and I think Greg Kelly covered it and covered it meaning this exchange between this is in, this is incredible Glenn be, be, between re, uh, retired Colonel Phil Waldron who's a former combat officer he has a background in army information electronic warfare and he's having this exchange with Rudy Giuliani they're both there before the Senate Majority Policy Committee for the state of Pennsylvania. So it's basically uh, a Pennsylvania Republicans legislature, and they're holding this hearing on the election, and it's at the Wyndham Hotel in Gettysburg. Okay, stop and, for and, stop for a second, right there. Yeah, yeah. Why was this at the Wyndham Hotel in Gettysburg? What, <laughs> right. What? Of, of all places, I know. Why, why is it not being held in the Capitol building? Correct. Uh, and, and I mean, so I know, and I know right off. So liberals are going to say, "Oh, this is a partisan hearing, right?" Democrats aren't even part of it. And I've already seen in reaction to the article people saying, "Oh, well, Rudy Giuliani was there, so I don't believe any of it, right?" Uh, but but you got to, you have to look at what the the expert said. 
And what the experts said, I had to go find this online and, and produce my own transcript. I know. Me, it, me too. I know. I know. It took, it took me like 45 minutes making sure I had every single word right, you know, every single possessive right, exclamation mark. And, and I went through it. And what Waldron said, he claimed that within a, about 90 minutes, that at, at some point here in the in the tabulation of the vote after November third, there were six hundred four thousand votes that came in. In fact, the the number that he says in the exchange with Rudy, and and and, and Waldron testifies, and then Rudy kind of cross examines says, "I'd like to ask this man some questions." And so we asked him, and 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 he Waldron said that there were five hundred seventy thousand votes for Biden in one batch, and thirty two hundred for Trump. 570,000 for Biden versus 3,200 for Trump. And when he says this, Glenn, you can hear an audible oh, I know. gas. Do we have that? Uh, hang on just a second. I think I have that audio. Let's play that yeah. audio where, where he is talking about this. When we look at this uh, Pennsylvania fixing the vote chart that they all have, could you explain at the very beginning what that line means, Biden injection? So at the very, the very beginning of the, uh, the chart where there's a circle that says on election day, uh, what that indicates is there is a spike in uh, loaded votes, uh, uh, 337,000 plus or minus of some votes that were added in there in one big batch. So that was uh, an anomaly in the reporting. Normally you would expect to see a smooth curve going up not any uh not any big big spikes uh that's kind of what uh, what greg was talking about the the anomalies of loading and uh, uploading those uh those votes so that big spike that uh, occurs there is a prime indicator of fraudulent voting and that's six hundred and four thousand votes in 90 minutes is that right Correct. This is uh, 300 and, uh, 337 votes, 337,000 votes in that, uh, that, that, in that period of time. Yes. And when you look at this entire curve with all these spikes, can you calculate how, how, how much of a vote that accounted for for Biden and how much for Trump? Close to 600,000. I think our, our figures were about 570 some odd thousand that uh, all those spikes represent over time. For Biden? Correct. And how much for Trump? Uh, I think it was a little over 3,200. <laughs> that was the reaction from the people who heard that. That was my reaction, too. 570,000 votes for Biden in one batch and 3,200 for Donald Trump? It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and look, I, I, I went to bed on... The night of the election, Tuesday night, I guess it would have been Wednesday morning, probably about 2 or 3 a.m., and Donald Trump was up in Pennsylvania by at least 600,000 votes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I want to say 700,000. I think I remember the percentage being like 58 to 41 percent. And, and I was texting with, with my brother, who lives in eastern PA. I live in western PA. And, and I, I said, well, well, Trump's got this. And he said, oh, I, I, I don't know. You've got to watch out and see what happens in Philadelphia. And, and I said, 600,000 votes? There's no way you could overcome 600,000 votes. I mean, maybe it's possible that Trump could maybe still lose Wisconsin, Michigan. But 600,000 in Pennsylvania? I, I, there, there, there's, just, there's just no way. And then over the next three or four days, the impossible or implausible or unbelievable seem to transpire. I mean, how can you... <laughs> 
lose 600,000 votes. Well, if, if this is accurate, that in one batch of votes, it was 570,000 to 3,200. I mean, in one fell swoop, you could do it right there. And, and so I, I watched this. I saw this. And, you know, like, like you, I mean, I don't ever want to be accused of dabbling in conspiracy theory and so forth. But 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 you're, you're, the next day I, I went online and I went to all the I did Google searches. I went to DuckDuckGo. I looked did all these online searches to see if anybody reported this. And nobody reported it. I, I found it at Real Clear Politics. I found it at Breitbart. And I think that was it. I, 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 mean, I could even find Glenn Pennsylvania sources. You know, the Philadelphia paper, the Harrisburg Patriot News, the, you know, the Pittsburgh papers. I couldn't find anyone who even reported on it. And I just want to know, is it accurate? This is, uh, this, is yeah. the, this is the problem, Paul, is by them not covering it, it only makes people's spider senses go higher. Mm-hmm. It, it only makes people think, there is something here. Right. Why, why is no one coming? This is news, and you should cover it, and it should have coverage on all sides, and you you argue it out uh, in the in the coverage. You show us the facts that they present, and you show us the facts that some other guy presents, and you let the American people figure it out. But that's not happening anymore, which only makes things worse for the American populace. Yeah, it does. And, and, and this, this uh, retired Colonel Waldron who testified, I mean, the guy is no political hack. He's not a partisan. He doesn't seem to have any axe to grind here. And, and this is just stunning. And, and he, he also made a couple of other, a couple other bombshells that he dropped here. He said that, that there had been 1.8 million, and I have this in my American Spectator piece, it's called Pennsylvania Bombshell, so the data's in there. Um, he, he said that there were a total of about 1.8 million mail-in ballots that were sent out by the Commonwealth, and, and that 2.5 million were counted in the final total. And, and so Rudy jumps in and he says, well, that's you know, 766,000 ballots that, that, that are, are unaccounted for. So, so I wrote this. I put it in the piece. I got an email from somebody saying, no, this data is not correct. Go to the Pennsylvania Department of State website. Check it out. I went there. They seem to have new information posted. This information is always changing. And looking at the information that's up there now, they're now claiming that there were 3.1 million mail-in ballots in the state of Pennsylvania. And Glenn, on Election Day, CNN, Fox, everyone told us, no, it was like one, to two, one, one or two million ballots. And, and, and they're saying there was 3.1 million. And of these, and I'm sorry about all these numbers. I know this is confusing, but and of the 3.1 million that that the Pennsylvania Department of State is now claiming was sent out, they're claiming that about 90 percent of them were returned, were, were filled out. I mean, that's an extraordinary rate of return. Everybody that I talked to who got a mail-in ballot chucked it and ended up going in and and voting in person on election day. I, so I, I don't know that I can believe that. I, and by the way, when I had to vote in person in Pennsylvania, Mercer County, Pennsylvania, on Election Day, I had to show up with my ID. I had to write my signature in the little thing there. And the, and the little old lady from the League of Women Voters, she knew who I was, but she made me show an ID anyway. And instead, you have millions of ballots that are sent in in Pennsylvania that you can't even verify. And, and, and they, they pull them out of the envelope, and then I think they throw out the envelope. So you can't even go back and double-check them. 
and, and, and this is what Donald Trump and his team warned about from the beginning, that mail-in balloting is just rife with fraud. It's why, Glenn, something like two-thirds of the countries in the European Union ban mail-in balloting. Because the potential for fraud is absolutely enormous. Well, just so just so everybody knows that this isn't a uh, uh, this is not some conspiracy theory about, you know, people have been saying this for a long time. You'll recognize this vote. Can we play the flashback, please, on the mail in uh, need signature verification? They're talking about mailing it, people mailing in their ballots. Do you trust the security, the honesty of such an election process? Well, I think we'd have to figure out uh, whether this was fraud proof. I mean, Oregon, for example, has a, a terrific mail-in system, but they've already scanned everybody's signatures who's registered to vote so that they can check to make sure that, in fact, the right people are voting. Uh, and that's something that I think you'd have to figure out. Hmm. So Barack Obama wow. is even talking about this stuff. Chris Matthews, right? Yeah, yeah. 2006. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and they're right. I mean, that, that's the problem with mail-in ballots. And I, and I know that this year... The left pushed the COVID as the as the main excuse or impetus to do mail-in balloting, but with the way that it was done in Pennsylvania, with the way the deadline was ex- was extended by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court with five partisan judges and and going against the legislature, the legislature makes election law in the state of Pennsylvania, and it's just complete chaos. And I think what makes it even worse, I know you had my good friend Selena Zito on mm-hmm. a lot on, on on your show. I mean, we were watching here on the ground in Pennsylvania. I I just don't know how Trump could. Have possibly lost Pennsylvania. Uh, the, the 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 real clear politics average for Pennsylvania the Tuesday morning of the vote was Biden by one point two, and we thought, oh, pff, Trump's going to overperform that by at least five percent. Uh, I mean, the real clear politics national average was Biden by seven, and he ended up winning it by like three and a half. And you're going to tell me that 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 they nailed it for Pennsylvania, that 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 Trump didn't outperform in Pennsylvania, but he outperformed everywhere else. It, it's just it's hard to believe that what has allegedly happened here in Pennsylvania actually happened. Uh, Paul, I thank you very much for being on the program and and keep looking into it and and report back to us. Let us know what you find, will you? All right, I will. Thank Glenn. you, Paul. Thanks. Paul Kangor, uh, his uh, latest book is The Devil and Karl Marx, which is unbelievable. Information about Karl Marx that was held secret up until the wall came down in the 1980s that I didn't know. I mean, you look at Marxism and you're like, that's evil. No, no, no. I think it. Re- I think Karl Marx actually had a pact with the devil, uh, and he makes a good case in Marx's own words uh, you can find that in the uh, the Devil and Karl Marx by Paul Kenyon. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Philip Klein, he is the director of the Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society, uh, and he has been leading efforts for a couple of years. Uh, to protect our election integrity, to make sure there isn't any funny business. They have uh, collected some evidence and some data points that uh, the FBI is now interested in. And I'm interested to hear how that came about when the FBI requested uh, the data on the fraudulent ballots that they that they found. Philip, welcome to the program. Thank you, Glenn. Great to be with you. Thank you. So. Uh, tell me, first of all, what you guys have been doing. What kind of data are you collecting? 
Well, uh, first of all, Glenn, what we what the FBI has asked about and what many are speaking about, it deals with what I call blood in the street. You know, I was I'm former attorney general of Kansas. I was a prosecutor. And when a crime has been committed, what you find is the scene of the crime. But to really understand what happened, you don't investigate forward from that point. You investigate backwards to identify what happened. And what we've done and what we've been doing the past uh, 18 months in the field is tracing an unprecedented orchestrated effort to influence this election for Joe Biden. And the way that that was done is a private and public partnership (laughs) that allows the free flow of sensitive government information to private party activists, as well as uh, enough money and in fact, so much money from one source that it actually matched the federal government appropriation for elections, flowing into local election officials' offices, actually paying the election judges, dictating to them how they would run the election, and their decisions to violate the law, sidestep the law, or ignore the law that protected the integrity of the election. Is that funding source uh, start with an S, end with an S, and have... Orge's Orals in the uh, middle? No, it is Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg, really? Yes. And, and let me, if I could, speak to that first and then go into, and I'm, I'm sorry, Glenn, I don't know how much time we have. We have, so, we have 10 minutes at least. 10 minutes, okay. Um, I'll, I'll take you back to March 2020. Here's how they funded this. You know who David Plouffe is, Obama's former yes. campaign manager? He goes to work for Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan in the Zuckerberg-Chan Initiative. And in March 2020, he publishes his book called The Citizen's Guide for Defeating Donald Trump. And in that book, around page 81, he lays out the roadmap of how they're going to win this election. He says the the 2020 election will come down to a block-by-block street fight to turn out the vote in Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Detroit. Well... He leaves Zuckerberg's employ, but suddenly a sleepy little 501c called the Center for Tech and Civic Life starts reaching out to Democrat stronghold cities. Now, they've been running about a million dollars a year, but now they're reaching out and they're saying, look, we got a lot of money coming, so we want to seed you with some money so you start preparing your grant requests to get money to run your election. And as you know, early money is much more valuable than late money. Mm-hmm. So they're going out there and they're starting to seed it. And in fact, they got the mayor of Racine, Wisconsin, a Democrat, recruiting the key Democrat stronghold cities in, in, in Wisconsin. They're reaching out to Philadelphia, to Pittsburgh. They send down agents in states to identifying key swing counties in this election where they think they can turn out Clinton votes for Biden. Now, About September 2nd, Mark Zuckerberg says he wants a fair and safe election. Now, at the same time this is happening, blue state governors are shutting down in-person polling places. And you know all the polling data shows that Republicans prefer to vote in person on Election Day, while Democrats prefer to vote in advance by mail. So we're making it harder to vote in person. And suddenly Zuckerberg announces he's giving $350 million dollars to the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Now, I'll drill down a little bit on how they use that money. In Philadelphia, 
and we obtained these documents by court order in the Western or the Middle District of Pennsylvania because they don't want this to be known. Their agreement with Philadelphia says this, you're going to increase your polling places from 190 to 800. I will pay the election officials. I'm going to pay CTCL or Zuckerberg, the election judges. I'm going to buy the machines. I'm going to pay the people who boarded up the windows to keep America out of the counting room while a billionaire is in the counting room. The very people that you saw keeping Republicans outside were paid with Zuckerberg funds. Now, this privatization of elections is astounding and shouldn't happen. But on top of that, it created a two-tier election system. We'll take Pennsylvania again, Delaware County, just south of Philadelphia County. There was one Zucker box or drop box for every four square miles. In other words, two miles by two miles square, you could walk in your neighborhood and vote. In Trump country, the 59 counties that Trump won in 2016, one Zucker box for every 1,100 square miles. <laughs> now, this is government. Yeah, this is government action. And government's saying, if you live in a Democrat stronghold, well, well, I'll tell you what, we'll come pick up your ballot for you or just walk down to the, to the corner. But if you live in Trump country, take a weekend vacation and find Waldo. Government can't do that. But it's, it's more insidious than this. And another thing happened. Blue state governors entered into, in the first time ever, unique contracts with groups like um, uh, Rock the Vote. And Rock the Vote, through data sharing agreements, had a portal to actually enter new registrations into our poll books. In other words, we weren't hacked from without. We were hacked pursuant to agreement from within. So Rock the Vote activists and other activists started actually entering data into our poll books. And what our data now shows, once we have the election results of who voted and who didn't vote on election day, we have suddenly all kinds of identities of persons that are not real who voted. I'll give you one example. Law professor, Liberty University, a colleague of mine. She was born with a birth name, but changed her name because her parents called her by a different name. When she reached 18, she changed her name legally. She moves out of Michigan, gets married, so now she has a wholly different name. After the election, because of all this talk of, of fraud, she looked back into Michigan, and guess what? She is registered under her birth name, which she never registered under. And her birth name voted. This is the type of stuff that we had our experts quantify. And I'm just going to run through a list, and this is what the FBI was interested in. This is data that our experts show of Republicans who voted whose votes weren't counted, of, of people who didn't vote who suddenly are recorded as voting, and other categories of violating the law. And I'll speak to that in a minute. But here's the Arizona expert report. 305,000 ballots are in question. Michigan, 548,016 ballots in question. Georgia, 204,143 ballots are in question. And we've also got that for Pennsylvania um, as well. I've, I've forgotten now the other states that we have filed suit in. So each one of these states shows hundreds of thousands of ballots that, that are flawed in the counting system because of this lawlessness. Let me give you uh, just a couple of other examples. 
They consolidated the voting centers in these urban cores. All of them did it. It shows a coordinated plan. And they did it claiming they needed to do it for COVID. So in other words, for COVID, we created a crowd. (laughs) That makes no sense. The reason they did it is twofold. One is the law says, because these, in these counting centers, the election judges and, and they're called inspectors and so forth, actually look at ballots that can't be read by the machine. Then they cast that ballot on a separate piece of paper so it can be read by a machine. In other words, they're casting ballots for people who aren't there. And so the law says a Republican must be in the place of the county. That's real obvious. Republican and Democrat mm-hmm. need to sign off, need to see what's happening. Well, they consolidated it so they could say the Republicans in the place. He's up in the cheap seats in the penalty box in Detroit. When they did it in an abandoned hockey arena. You can't see a darn thing that's going on, but we got him in the place. That's their legal argument. The second reason, you can easily infuse tens of thousands of fraudulent ballots into the ballot stream because of the presence of sucker boxes, which holds tens of thousands of ballots and that all of these hundreds of thousands of ballots are going to one place. And here's the question for all these officials. Where's the video you promised of the drop boxes so we could see whether people, people lawfully cast their vote and the ballots were lawfully picked up? Where are the logs of who did it? Who had access to the keys? When did the trucks deliver it? Did you have two persons per key to make sure that Joey, who's a Black Lives Matter deputized person to pick up these ballots didn't stop by Jimmy's house and suddenly dump some ballots off and get new ballots. And the answer to all those questions is no, they don't have those logs. So let me ask you as a former attorney general, can you, can you prove these things in the amount of time necessary in court? Yes. Yes. It's, it's just, if the courts will listen, and if the American public starts to, to wake up and ask the right questions and understand what investigations are. Investigations are asking the right questions and demanding those, those resources that have the answers to answer the question. And, and here's the problem. They're covering up and hiding the evidence. If, if America demands the clear evidence that they should have, and they don't produce it, that is evidence of the fraud. And our experts have identified all of the hundreds of thousands of ballots. I'll just give you an example. Estimate number of ballots requested in the name of a Republican by someone other than that person, and this is Georgia, 15,331. Republican ballots that the request are returned but were not counted. These are Republicans. 29,884 Republican ballots not counted. Electors voted where they did not reside, 138,000. I mean, if, and, and th- those, that evidence is available to prove it, and we've introduced that into a court of law. Now, here's, here's part of the problem. These laws regarding recounts and certification were written back in the day, Glenn, that you and I would sit across from the table, hold up a ballot, and argue about what that ballot meant because it was right. a paper ballot passed by the voter. Mm-hmm. You know, hanging chats, dimple chats, yep. all of that. Yep. Now, the laws are not written for the machine age and the way that they do this process because the, the recount as well as the um, uh, uh, audits simply confirm or validate the fraud. 
they don't allow you to prove the fraud. Right. Well, it's but really but here's the problem. If Phil, if that is if that's the case, because I think we all agree on that. That's not a reason to throw this election out. Uh, it's a reason to fix this problem for the next one. But we can't change the rules of the game, which I think the Democrats were doing all along, trying to change the rule of the game in the game, during the game. We need to prove the fraud that happened that is, is big enough to uh, overturn the election, as well as uh, make sure that we have a different system going into the next election. Yes, and, and I believe we have sufficient proof to, that we are introducing of documents, of sworn affidavits um, that show that fraud was committed on the scale that these election results um, are, do not properly reflect the will of the people. So or we can't have faith in them. So you have, uh, you have uh, cases in several uh, states now. When is your first, when's your first hearing? Well, they're going to be popping up here in the next week or so. Okay. Um, we just we're just getting state replies to what we've said. But but let me give you another example of this. Got thirty if seconds. Think, okay. If if I'm investigating you for tax evasion, and I believe you've got documents, paper documents in your house that are relevant, and I get a search warrant, and I show up ninety degrees outside, it's a summer day, and you blockade the door, and then I see smoke coming from the chimney. That is damn good evidence you're burning the documents because they are incriminating. We have that evidence already all across the nation in this that should give rise to serious concerns. But we've got more. We've got specific witnesses who were inside that saw the burning of the documents. And then we have witnesses and experts who say because of this lawlessness and not following the law and creating a two-tier system, guess what? All of these ballots are in question. Phil, thank you so much. Uh, stay in touch with us. We'll follow uh, the court cases as they come up. Na, 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 na.